we're going to be taking a little sidestep away from our journey through the New Testament, and uh, we'll get back to that in the uh, first part of January. But um, I've been playing around, well, not playing around, I've been working on this, this message for a few years, believe it or not, thinking about, oh, we should do this, and maybe not, and the timing never felt right. And I came up to the section in Matthew where we would normally have been this week, uh, and it was on divorce. And I thought, I'm not preaching on divorce the week before Christmas. That's just, that's just, that's not going to, you know, we need to do something else. I said, aha, maybe this is the time to talk about this. And this message has kind of been in the back of my mind since COVID, or since, since after COVID. Because so many things happen in that, um, during that time frame. And uh, I need to turn this on here. And... Uh, for those of you who don't know, I have a reverse monitor right here that helps me read scripture verses when it comes on. Hey, there it is. Uh, that way I don't have to do this, because that's such a pain in the neck. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. It's going to be one of those mornings. Um, so COVID messed up. So, COVID did so many things that were weird in our, in our world, but they actually did so many things that were helpful things that helped us understand certain, um, certain attitudes and certain, um, uh, certain views towards things, that I thought it was a good opportunity to, to talk about this. And uh, what I want to talk about today is us. And what I mean by that is you, me, and the church. The church as a whole, the church as a body, the purpose of the church. Um, you notice the title of today's message is A Community of Faith. Um, another way of saying it is a, a, a covenant community that we are a community gathered together for an actual purpose. A covenant is not just a contract. A covenant is an agreement between two people or two groups. One agrees to do something. The other one uh, agrees to do something in return. So we are a covenant people with God. We have agreed to gather together in worship and service to God, and God has agreed to respond to that with favor, with blessing, with redemption. So, but the interesting thing about the community of faith is that we all know, or at least we should know, that we are remarkably incapable of doing what God has asked us to do on our own. I've talked to people my entire Christian life, I've been a Christian now for 30 years, and I've known people my entire Christian life who are absolutely convinced that the church is a good thing for other people but them. <laughs> so that their spirituality has reached a point where they don't, they don't require this, they can actually complete what God has asked them to do on their own. Great, good for you. Never seen it happen. Don't actually ever expect it to happen. Because if you're called to serve, you have to serve others. If you're called to teach, you have to teach others. If you're called to missions, you have to go do missions for others. It always involves others. And at some point in time, you have to be trained, you have to be built up, you have to be supported, you have to be encouraged, and sometimes you have to be corrected. And that requires others. So we are... We are commanded by God, we are, we are in desperate need of others. And if you're not, you know, you're you, and everybody other than you is an other, okay? Just, just in case you're curious about how that worked. If you look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4, it says, two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if... Uh, if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will, keep one, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand, uh, withstand him, and threefold, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. 
Better a poor and wise youth than an old man, uh, old and foolish king who will be admonished no more. Actually, that verse didn't, that, I don't know why that one was there. It was just the last one that I wanted. The cord of three strands, the idea of us working together. The idea that God's people would come together in communities and walk together in common purpose has always been the plan. It wasn't something rushed together at the last moment. It has always been God's plan that his people would walk together. Now, it doesn't mean that everyone has the same mind. It doesn't mean everyone has the same, is just in full agreement on everything. We all like the same flavor of ice cream. Amazing. Stewart's, that's the flavor. That's, <laughs> you know, it's just, just kind of how it works. <laughs> God knew we would need each other, and we need each other for all kinds of different reasons. Now, if you think about this, Christ's arrival, during, we celebrate it during this time of year, was a gift from God. It was a prophesied gift of God. But one of the things that we forget is that the church was also a prophesied gift of God. God has always, from the very beginning, brought his people into a community, set up a place of worship, set up an organized standard of worship, set up an organized process of leadership and development and service, commitment. It has always been the case. There is no time in history where God did not have a process of worship that involved the gathering of a community into a central location where there was something brought forward. And people go, Pastor, that's, that's not true. You know, there, were, there was life before Abraham. Yep, there absolutely was. And did you know that, that Melchizedek, when Abraham was bringing the loot back from, from, the, from the people he conquered, he, Melchizedek comes out. And what was Melchizedek's title? Priest of the Lord Most High. See, we forget this, that before the people of Israel, there was an organized process of worship. The only difference is when God chose Israel, God chose Israel to bring forth the Messiah and his word. It doesn't mean that his standards were not available on the earth. They've always been available on the earth. That's how we know that Joseph, when he was, he was propositioned by Potiphar's wife, he says, I cannot. I would, be, I, would be, I would be doing wrong in the eyes of God. How did he know that? He knew it because God's word has always been with us. It has never been different. And God's people have always been gathered into communities. For a long time, the Jewish people thought that God's end goal was to make everyone Jewish. Boy, were they surprised when they found out that it was God's plan was never about creating one nation. God's plan was about creating one people. One people a melting pot of, of, of people from around the world. God's people come in all shapes and sizes. Thank the Lord. That's just, I, I'm just so thankful that you don't, there's no, there's no, you know, you go to Disneyland, it's like you gotta be this tall to get in. Very thankful for that. Yard gnomes to the left, normal people to the right. The thing that brings up, us together is the worship of and the service to the one who saved us. That's what brings us together. The worship of and the service to the one who saved us. If we come together for any other reason, we gotta pull quest we gotta question that. A lot of denominations will, will try to pull you together because of a loyalty to the denomination. No. <laughs> no. The only denomination that matters is one that has 
recognized Christ as Messiah. Anything else is negotiable. You like a different type of music? Go ahead. Who cares? You want to worship to rock and metal? Go, go ahead. I don't get it, but go ahead. You want to worship to jazz? I'm with you. Blues worship album? I'm there. 40-year-old Hosanna music? Sure, I'm, I'm there too, just because I am, and I wish it was different, but that's the way it works. We were at worship practice, it was a couple of weeks ago, and we started pulling all these old songs. We're laughing our face off, but then at the end, we're like, those are actually really good. <laughs> so we're going to start bringing some of those back, because to you, they're brand new used songs, so some of you have never heard of them, but um, we can't get them out of our head now. One of the difficulties that we have today as the people of God is that as a society, and this has been going on for a long time, this is nothing new, but COVID emphasized this. It just put a big exclamation point on this, that as a society, we've been moving away from community to individual faith. Now, I'm not talking about collective faith. Don't, 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 don't go there. I'm not going to talk talking about we're all saved because we're all saved. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the community versus individuality. I don't need the church. I have Jesus. If you've ever thought that to yourself, here's something you need to come to terms with. You don't actually understand what it means to have Jesus. You can't love the bride and hate his kids. Okay? You can't love the Savior and then hate the ones he saved. It's not how it works. We come together. The enemy tries to convince us to go it alone because it's easy. And honestly, it is easy. It, it's, it's very easy to be on your own because there, there's no one to answer to. There's no one to try to relate to. And one of the hardest things about church is there's people there. You know, one of the things that we came to terms with during COVID was it was so easy. Sunday morning was so easy. We came in. I had pre-recorded worship that we did at practice the week before. It was awesome. I sat in my office. I watched worship. I just preached from there. For, and after a little while, I preached from here, and there were like four people here. It was so easy. And then after a while, you realize this is so not what God intended it's empty. It's, you may be doing what you need to do at the time, but there's no value in it. There's, there's so much missing. Look at what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 8. It says, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory, uh, of the glory that will be revealed, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, listen to this carefully, you younger people, younger people hate this verse, submit yourselves to your elders. Oh no, old people are so dumb. 
Every time I go to my, every time I go to my in-laws' house on, on, on the weekend, I, I tell, we go there, and, and the first thing I tell, tell Samantha is, what am I going to fix this time? It's always something to do with a phone or a cable. I went and fixed the internet once. You know what was wrong? It was unplugged! <laughs> Every now and then, I'll take a little bit longer with it just to make them feel like it was really hard to do. <laughs> oh, wow, this was so difficult. <laughs> Submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. There's humility in submission. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant because your, your adversary, the devil, now listen to this, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. This is something that was said at that time because everyone understood the mental picture being presented at this time. The enemy roars, uh, walks around you like a roaring lion seeking the one who may, he may devour. If you've ever seen a big game hunt, if you ever watched any kind of you know, Discovery Channel thing on lions, depending on what's going on, a lion doesn't like to hunt a herd. They're not going to just run. They're just not going to try to take down the whole thing. Well, there's a couple hundred animals here. Let's go get them all. Buffet. It's not how it works. The lions see a herd, they're hungry, and the pride will get around and they'll start walking on the outskirts of the herd, roaring, making noise, letting them know, we want lunch. And what they're waiting for is one of the animals inside the herd to get nervous enough, now pay attention, to not believe they're safe in the community. To not believe they're safe where they are, surrounded by people just like them, and so they break away. And they think if they run fast enough and hard enough, they'll make it, and everybody else is the one that's in trouble. They're the ones that have the right idea. The moment that happens, the entire pride of lions knows that's lunch. That's lunch. Because on your own, you're not that threatening, it's together that you actually have strength. And what will happen, I actually got to watch this when we were over in Tanzania. Um, there was this, I can't even remember what they were called. It was, the, I don't remember what they were called. They looked like deer with weird horns. We'll just call them that. Weird horn deer. That's what they were. And there was literally hundreds of them walking through. And there was like eight or nine lions laying down by a tree. And you tell the lions were like, you hungry? I don't know, I could eat. And they're walking through, and as they come through, you can see the older ones are on the, on the front side kind of leading things, and they look over and they see what's going on, and you actually got to watch all of the younger ones move to the inside of the herd. It, it, it was almost like it was scripted. It was amazing. The more vulnerable ones were being protected by the elders because they had submitted themselves to the authority of the elders. They'll fight for you if you put yourself into a position where they can fight for you. Or you can fear everything around you, break off on your own, and now you're on your own. Good luck. Today, this is one of the mindsets that we deal with within the church. Now look, I've been very honest about this over the years. There's a lot of church leaders that over the last 40, 50 years who have done a tremendous job making it very hard to trust the church. 
Tremendous job. Only takes a five-minute search on Google to find 10 different ways why you shouldn't trust the church. Because you're going to find some weird, whacked-out cult leader. We were just watching a special on, on, on this weird cult out west last night. I know, it's kind of weird, but I enjoy watching those things. So I'm like, I don't want to be that guy. Right? And you, you see how easy it is for people to get manipulated. And you, and you start to wonder, how in the world do, do people get to that point where they can't see what is going on right in front of them? But we live in a day and age where there is so much information so readily available, so many accusations that are put out so fast that are never corrected, that the amount of distrust in the church, especially the American church, the American evangelical church, I can tell you just plainly, our mistakes are put out so fast, and there are so many lies put out so fast, they're never corrected, and people assume that because one lie was told that, well, obviously it was online, so, you know, I mean, there's fact checkers. It has to be real, right? I mean, we learned that from the last election. You can't, you know, you don't, you don't doubt the fact checkers. Of course they're going to be real. Okay. And what you end up with is a pretty significant exodus from the church. And I, I, gotta, I gotta tell you, I get it. Believe me, I get it. But just because I understand the reasoning doesn't mean that the reasoning is good. You know, it, here, here's the reality. People come, people go. People leave for all kinds of reasons. Some people leave for great reasons. Some people just move on. Hey, you know what? It, I, we're, we gotta go. Okay, fine. It, it's okay. You know, uh, we were talking to a couple not that, not that long ago. They were like, you know, we're thinking about leaving, leaving the church that we're in. We're like, okay, so, so, so do it. Are you allowed to do that? I'm sorry, what? <laughs> what are you, chained to the stage? I mean, what's, what's going on? Of course you can. The church, the community that we're in right now, this is not, this is not a, someplace that you're, you're sentenced to for your life. This is a community you join while you're here, you take part of it, and then when God calls you someplace else, you go. It's that simple. And you should be able to find another community, hopefully, another community similar to that you can join in another place. It's okay. Don't feel bad about it. Just stay in community. Doesn't matter where the community is, just stay in community. That's the goal. That's the deal. Every church deals with people who come and go, deals with people who leave. Some people leave for great reasons. Some people leave not so much great reasons. It's okay. We've had, uh, I've been the pastor here now for, this will be start, this will be the end of my 14th year. I'll be starting my 15th year. Weird. Oh my goodness. It seems so wrong. So wrong. You'd think I'd be bigger, you know, at this, at this point. Uh, they don't feed me. Uh, <laughs> I think the, 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 only, the only time where I was scratching my head and someone's like, someone like, I can't be here anymore. I was like, okay, can you explain to me why? You do communion wrong. Huh? Do you have friends here? Oh, yeah, I have great friends here. Do you, are, are you involved here? Oh, yeah, yeah, I've been involved here all the time. You can't stay here because we do communion wrong? Yep. Okay. Have a good time. 
I'll stay if you, do, if you change the way you do communion. Bye. <laughs> it's just, it was so weird. I think that was just the excuse used so they could do whatever they wanted. But here's the most common reason I've found over the years why people leave, okay? This is kind of where I'm getting to. And it's centered around people who want to be connected in a church, but they put all of the responsibility for that connection on everybody but themselves. I come to the church, I want to be connected, I want to be involved, but no one has ever asked me to do these things. No one's ever invited me to a home, nothing, this has never happened. Okay, so tell me about your experience when you come in. When you come in, when do you, when do you come in? Well, I usually come in somewhere in the middle of the first song. Okay, that's problem number one, because everybody else is sitting down. Well, where do you sit? I typically sit, if you sit in the back, I'm not talking about you, don't worry about it. I, I, I typically sit in the back because I don't want to walk in and bother anybody. Really? Is that just, just through worship or after service starts? Do you, you know, do you, you know, during that break, do you find a seat? Oh, no, I just find a comfortable spot, grab some coffee, and that's where I am the rest of the day. Oh, okay. So what do you do after service? Well, sometime around, a- amen, um, I start my car from my key fob when I know you're finishing up. Um, that way I can just, you know, get out before the line forms at the snack table. So let me get this straight. You're here late. You don't actually come into the sanctuary. Have you ever stepped on the carpet? I'm just curious. Have you ever actually felt the carpet? It's nice. It's soft. It's because you can't bring coffee in the sanctuary. That's right. That's, that's, sorry. I'm possessed by a demon spirit of caffeine. And then you leave right after service. So you don't come before to fellowship, and you don't stay after to fellowship. How are people supposed to connect with you? How does this work? It's really easy to go through life, to go to and from work, to go to and from school, and to go to and from church and never actually make deep connections. It is so easy to do that. All you have to do is be present and not involved. All you have to do is be kind. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. Lord bless, and you're out there. You come in, you feel good for a couple hours, and then you're gone. It's so easy to do that. But it's not beneficial. You think about this. Think about the number of people you work with every day that you think you know until you learn something about them. You're like, I didn't know that. I, I, I would have never guessed that. You're a cat person? Ugh. <laughs> I used to like you. I mean, cats are okay, depending on the sauce, but it's, it really, it's, it all to, figured it would take a second for a few people to get that. Sweet and sour kitten's not bad. Um, it's moving right along. <laughs> One of the things that has happened is that since COVID, what we have done is we have put ourselves in a place where we spend so much, we've spent so much time isolated before, we kind of, and actually psychologists have actually confirmed this, people have reprogrammed themselves to socialize in different ways. Where instead of socializing face-to-face, you socialize with a screen. 
Well, that's what social media is for. No, it's not. Social media is a joke, and it's not even a funny joke. Take time sometime today, parents. Grab your kid's device. All of your kid's devices have a usage uh, meter built into it. Don't do it to yours because it's depressing enough. You're an adult, your kid, but your kids have to be supervised. <laughs> and look at the amount of data usage at various apps at various times during the day. I think it will surprise you how much time they spend glued to a screen compared to how much time they spend actually talking to somebody. This is one of the reasons why kids today have such a hard time, especially, um, this is, this is I, I believe we're in this point right now, this is the first generation coming out of college that has almost no interpersonal skills. They don't know how to interview. They, they don't understand how to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. They've never actually been yelled at, which I think is funny. My boss yelled at me because I wasn't working hard enough. It was so busy, I can't believe Who's he to yell at me? Your boss. I don't know, the name on your paycheck, they have a right to tell you to work. I'm just saying. My college professor failed me because I was not in school for 200 days. <laughs> Surprise, you got to show up. I saw a video online of a girl who was trying to, act and, and is trying to say that she has a problem being on time and it's a medically diagnosed condition. No, it's not. And if it is, I got a cure for you. Set your watch at, a different, at an earlier time. I used to set the clock in my car 10 minutes earlier than it actually was, so I would always be on time. For me, early is on time. On time is late. That was always something that was drilled, drilled into my head growing up. If you're on time, you're late. Today, it's like if, I'm, if you're on time, you should get a bonus because you showed up on time. Why do they expect so much from me? I don't know. They're paying you. Call me crazy. But this, this is, these are just symptoms of the mentality that we have where we exist on our own. The world, the world is basically what I want it to be, and everyone should know about me. Everyone should understand me. Everyone should value me, but I don't need to put the same kind of investment in other people. We all want to be known, but to be known means to also value knowing others. No one wants to be unknown. You don't want to go through your life, no one ever knowing you, no one ever acknowledging you, no one ever you know, thanking you for what you do. No one wants that. But in order to gain that, we must also provide that. So if you want people to know about your hopes and your dreams and your fears, then you need to know about other people's hopes and dreams and fears. So here's a test to do. Look across the sanctuary at anybody. And here's a question for you. Do you know what their hobbies are? Do you know what their favorite food is? Do you know the restaurant they will never go to again? Do you know what their dreams are? I know I'm doing this right now, but this, 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 is, this is my dream. This is what I want to be. 
You see, if we don't know those answers, how are we ever going to get to the point where we know the other answers, like what is their fear? What are the things that scares them? What is the pain from early on in their life that they've been dragging through the years that they need help with? We'll never get to that if we haven't even broken the ice with, what do you like to do? What kind of sports do you play? I'll tell you a really easy one for me. Golf. That's it. That's it. It's football season. I know nothing. I know absolutely nothing. We're at worship practice, and Abel's walking out of the building. I thought this was pretty funny. And he's like, hey, you know that they're not going to renew Belichick's contract? And I was like, oh, about time. We're walking. He's walking away. And I, I, this, is, this is not a joke, Chevalagist. I looked at Ashley and I said, Ashley, who does he coach for? I said, is it the Bills? <laughs> I said, I didn't think it is because Abel said something about Brady, and I was pretty sure that was not a Bill. Now, her response to me was something like this. <laughs> because I have no idea. I know the Super Bowl is sometime in late January or early February, and there's commercials that are funny. That's it. It's like, I don't know, like, playoffs or their playoff hopes. I, I, I have no idea. Masters weekend is the start of my world. And golf is the most boring sport to watch ever. At least in tennis, people are going. In golf, it's this. <laughs> Unless you're playing with us, then it's like this. Usually followed up by, someone's watching my club lands. <laughs> but at least we all have the same expectations on each other. None. <laughs> if we don't understand the simple things about the people that we're around on a regular basis, then we never actually can fulfill the purpose of the community of faith. So the purpose of the community of faith is not to simply gather on a Sunday morning. This is, the, this is not what the church is supposed to look like. This is an element of church life, a piece of it, a small couple of hour a week piece, but that's it. If this is the totality of your church life, you're missing such a big piece that it's hard to even explain. There's so much that's not available to you because you've, you've committed church to Sunday between this and this. That's not it. That's not it at all. But now, are we all supposed to be best friends? No. I don't know about you, but I only got 24 hours in my day, and I sleep 19 of them. Nah, it's not true. <laughs> I have two dogs. I sleep four, <laughs> you know? And one of the dogs thinks I'm his pillow in the morning, which is awesome. No, we only got 24 hours a day. We only got seven days a week. The, the reality is, is you only have so much time to connect with people. So it's not realistic that you would be friends, best of friends with everybody. But that does not mean that you cannot get to know everybody to some degree. 
Because the more you invest yourself in other people, the deeper your understanding of those people will get, and it will happen all by itself. It doesn't even take a lot of effort on your part. You think about this. The average size church in the United States is between 40 and 60 people. Isn't that exciting? So when you look online, you see these big mega churches. Those are not very common. The bulk of the churches in the United States are between 40 and 60 people. Now, that was the size of the church when we started. Larry will remember this, right? When I came to the church, I think there was about 65-ish people. When I took over, I think there was like 75-ish, maybe 80. And we were like, we're so full. And then we built the other building over there. And there was 200 sheets, and we all came in, and we were like, oh, my gosh, it's so big. That lasted like nine seconds. After, after I think it was two years, on a normal Sunday, we had people standing up in the back. I mean, it was, it was, um, it was amazing. You're like, this is, a cra- this is crazy. But even when we were on the Doran Road, how many of you don't know where the Doran Road is? Now you know why we moved. Okay. You usually find the Dorn Road if you're lost, okay? Even when we were there, there were people on one side of the church that didn't know much about people on the other side of the church. There were 60 people, and most of them were married. So you're talking about what, 25, 30 families at most? This should not be difficult, But it was no big deal because in a church that size, even if you only knew a few people, you probably knew close to half or a little more than half of the church. So there was a much bigger group of people that you knew than people that you didn't know. So what happens is as a church grows, all of a sudden that ratio changes. One of the things you hear hear from people in a church about this size is that it's hard to connect. I feel like I'm not connected. And the reason is because the number of people you can actually still get to know is the same. So now the number of people that you know is the small part and the number of people you don't know is the big part. So you can feel alone in a crowd because you still only know a certain number of people. Now, and I'm talking about knowing well, knowing well, not just, you know, getting together at at different times. I'm talking about knowing well. Now, if you're an extrovert like me, you may not have known that about me, but I'm a bit extroverted. I usually don't have have much problem uh, getting to know people. It's not an issue. Because you see new people as like a challenge. Cool. I'm going to get to know somebody. When I got to River of Life, this was, um, oh gosh, way, 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 way long time ago. The very first person in the church who came up to me, I'm never, I will never, ever, ever forget this because of the question that he asked me. It was Alex Davis. I don't know if he's in here right now, but it was Alex Davis. And the very first thing he said to me was, hi, I'm Alex. Do you own a gun? <laughs> Immediately, I knew right where I was. <laughs> I was like... I am not in Kansas anymore. Just got asked if I owned a gun by an 11-year-old. And he was serious. I was like, I'm going to have to get back to you on that one. He's like, okay. And then and off he goes. I was like, what just happened? But it was awesome. Now, if you're an introvert, it can be horrible. Because there are too many options. See, if you're an introvert and you're in a small church, it's easy. There's not a lot of options. 
There's only a couple people involved. There's not a lot to choose from. But when you're in a larger church and you're an introvert, things get difficult. Because now, what if you showed up late? Okay, now I'm going to sit in the back, and I th- I'm thinking I'm going to go talk to somebody. Oh, no, uh, they, they look like they're talking. I don't want to interrupt them. So if I interrupt them, then, then they're, they're probably going to get mad at me, and they're going to think that I'm, I'm, I'm overwhelming. So I'm, I'm just going to wait until they're done, and I'm sure that they're going to figure out that, 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 that I'm here, and then they'll come over and talk to me. So I'm going to go back and take my seat behind this Christmas tree. Stop talking about Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I was about to say, and that's Tom. <laughs> that's Mark. Some of you have been here at the church since Doran Road. How many of you in here right now have people who are in the church right now who you, know, you have known since school? Okay. You've known each other for a while. You know each other really, really well, probably too well in some ways. Hey, remember that time? Shut your face. <laughs> well, if you're going to talk about that, then I'm going to, never mind, I'm good. You know all the inside jokes, you know all the humor, you know all the little subtle things that make you laugh and giggle that other people don't, and what we don't realize is how off-putting that is to people who don't. They, they immediately feel like they're on the outside of something because you know each other so well. We forget sometimes that there are people who haven't been here their whole lives. There, there, there are, are, are younger people in here who have only known this church their life. Okay? We have to remember that. Not everybody is in that category. How many of you have been here attending at the church for less than two years? <laughs> I'll put my hand up. I'm not putting it way up. <laughs> Introverts. <laughs> Extroverts would be like, me! <laughs> Excuse me. Now, for when you get people who are newer to the church, you get some people who don't know very many people, and they're okay with that for a while. Because you're new, you're trying to, trying to get to know things. You're trying to figure out which group you fit in with, you know, um, because there are groups you fit in with and there are groups you don't fit in with. It's just, it's just the way it works, you know. If you're a football player hanging around with the golf guys, probably not going to be very beneficial to you. But then there are people who don't know very many people and they, they're not okay with it. They're like immediately not okay with it. They, they need to make connections. The problem is they don't know how to do it. They're not exactly sure how to move forward in that. I have some thoughts about that that I'll share with you here at the end. There's, there's a relatively easy way of fixing that. Some of you knew people that were here before COVID, and you were very comfortable. You knew people. They knew you. You'd been around for a long time. They may have come over from the other, other church. You guys had known each other. We've been involved in building projects. You've been involved in home meetings. You've gotten pretty well, uh, uh, pretty good knowledge with one another. And then COVID happened. The world went up on its head. And COVID was not an easy path to navigate. It, it, just, it just wasn't. I mean, there were some churches that basically just like, you know, whatever to the government, they could care less. And there are other churches that realized that you could get into a lot of trouble for no real good reason by just thumbing your nose uh, at the government. Because in the, especially in the early days, we didn't know what we were dealing with. 
I mean, were you dealing with the Black Death or were you dealing with something that was just, you know, a little bit bigger than the common cold? You didn't know who to trust. So you did your best. And it didn't make any difference. Whatever decision was made in whatever church you were in, half the church was happy with it, half the church was angry with it. So there was no good way of making, there was no good path. Some of the worst government and social regulatory overreaches in the history of our country happened during that, that one-year time period. Actually, it was about two years by the time everything settled out. And what happened during that time and the damage that was done to people, I don't think it can be calculated. And you, you still see remnants of it today. And, 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 and if this is you, I apologize, but if you know people like this, I was, during the summer, I, I, I'm a people watcher. It's just kind of, the, kind of the way I work. But I'll watch people during the summer. It's a boiling hot day, and they're driving in a car by themselves wearing a mask. What are you afraid of? But that's how much, I'll use this word carefully, programming went into people's lives during that time. It changed so many people in such deep ways that it's actually pretty frightening how, how effective it was. After things opened back up, maybe you stayed away for a little bit longer because you just weren't really sure if opening back up was the right thing to do. So you're a little cautious. You know, you haven't been to a store in four years because you order everything online. Okay, I order almost everything online, but I still go to stores. Maybe you stayed away a little longer. Look, no condemnation here. Whatever the reason was, doesn't make any difference. But when you finally came back, things were different. And I heard this from so many people. Things were different. It didn't feel right. Church felt different. I, don't, I can't put my finger on it. Everything's different. Okay, what is different? Well, there are people that, that are here that, you know, that they get my name wrong. They don't remember the name of my kids. I got news for you. I don't know the name of your kids now. Because there's too many of them. You guys need to slow down, <laughs> okay? It's just, it's, <laughs> it's a, yeah, you need to slow down. It's, back, <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> it's not a race. When, a, when This year when Amanda was like, 10 kids are coming out of the nursery, I was like, shut up! They're going to know there's room! <laughs> oh, it filled back up? Great. It only took a month supposed to take nine. It's, it's, if you're visiting, yes, this is normal. I just want to point that out, okay? This is, this. <laughs> but, you know, some of the things that I heard, it's like, like, there's new people in the church. People that were in the church before had babies. No one told me they were pregnant. Why didn't we have baby showers? COVID. Other people show up. <laughs> this, this was my absolute favorite. I showed up. There were new people here in my spot. <laughs> like, seriously? Every year at the business meeting, it makes me laugh because uh, for those of you who don't, don't make it to the business meeting, when, when people come back in, they sit in the same spot they were during the church service. <laughs> it's like, you can move forward. It's fine. It's really good. Nope, it's like we are so programmed. You're like, but that's my spot. It's like, look, Sheldon, knock it off. <laughs> Some of you won't get that, others, it's fine. 
There's all these different reasons why the church felt different. Of course it did. We were gone for months. Some people didn't come back to the church for over 18 months. And when they came back, it felt different. No kidding. Don't go to your favorite restaurant for 18 months and then go, and then go back. It's going to feel different. Because things change whether you're there or not. Things progress whether you're there or not. The church moves forward without your permission. But where people had the hardest problem was, what do you do now? What do you do now? Nationwide, it took over a year for most churches to recover to start getting back to what what we would consider pre-COVID numbers. Most churches lost around 20% of their congregation, including us. There are people that just didn't come back. Uh, There's some people who are watching online. You haven't come back. We miss you. You you should come back. It's fine. Um, We're all still alive. You know, not dead yet. It's fine. Some people took the opportunity to start new relationships, new friendships. They took the gutsy decision. You know what? It's okay to start over. It's fine. Everyone else had to. Why why should I be be the exception? Other people took it as an opportunity to disappear without having to give answers. You know, because if you just disappear, people start asking, hey, I haven't seen you in a little while. What happened? What's going on? What, where are you? This was easy because everyone was gone for so long, you could disappear, and it didn't matter. It was simple. There are some churches across the country that lost so many people for so long, they never recovered, they closed their doors. I want you to think about that. A gathering of God's people were gone for so long that the church could not reopen. There's, there's, there's a problem there. There's something wrong with that. And as irritating as COVID was, it taught us something very important. It taught us the value of not only being known, but knowing others. It taught us the value of deepening relationships, not just having a surface relationship. Matthew 16, 18 says, and I also say this to you, you are Peter. On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. It's a very famous verse, very well known, and the central point of it is that God is going to build his church. The word translated church there is ecclesia. It means those called out for a purpose or the assembly. It's not about the building. It's not about a denomination. The, church, the term church has never meant that. We call this a church because it's easy to understand. But the word means the people within, not the building. If this building burned down, we'd still have church. Jesus is talking about the gathering of the body of believers from all social areas and, 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 and economic stratus and, and, and uh, types of backgrounds and cultures and ethnicities from all over the world. That's what he's calling the church. His ecclesia, those whom he has called out for a purpose, the ecclesia of God built on the rock, and the rock is not Peter, by the way. The rock is the revelation that Peter had. You are the Messiah, son of God. That was the rock on which the church would be built. We gather in common purpose. Listen to these verses. Acts 20, 28. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and uh, and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers 
excuse me, to shepherd the church of God, still the same word, the ecclesia of God, which he purchased with his own blood. The ecclesia of God from which he purchased with his own blood. Hebrews 10, verse, starting in verse 23, says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised, us, uh, promised is faithful. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Let us not forsake the gathering of, of uh, ourselves together. How about this one? Ephesians 2, 19 through 22 says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, having been built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We're talking about building something. Jesus is the cornerstone. The cornerstone of what? In whom, we, in whom uh, the whole building being fitted together grows in a, uh, into a holy temple in the Lord. He's talking about the church. Jesus is the cornerstone which all of the weight rests, but we comprise the rest of the church in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. And lastly, Acts 2, 46 and 47. So continuing daily with one another, uh, daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread, listen to this, from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people as the Lord added to the church, same word, ecclesia, daily those who were being saved. I went through all of that was the introduction to get to this. Now we start the message. I'm kidding. It's kidding. It's a joke. Some of you are like, don't you dare. Went through all of that to get to this. If God has spent so much time, so much effort, and purchasing with his own blood his church, should we not take it more seriously, the relationships that we build within the church? If there's anything we've learned from the last few years is the value of one another, the value of knowing one another, understanding one another, deepening one, uh, uh, each other in the faith, not allowing each other to just slip through the cracks Now, granted, there are some people who work really hard to stay apart. If you're one of those people, please stop because you're missing something important. But this is what I'd like to propose to you for the coming year. We got this time of year we call winter where we do nothing because we're all frozen to the ground. (laughs) Here's a great thing to try to do over the next few months while we're hopefully waiting out the snow. There's got to be snow coming soon at some point, right? (laughs) Shut up! (laughs) You pray for snow and I'm out of here. After church each Sunday, here's something to to try to do, to try to do. Get together with two other people you don't know or maybe a couple you do know and then invite somebody else. Inviting just one person can be a little intimidating. Hi, you don't know us. Want to come spend a few hours with us while we interrogate you? (laughs) But if there's a couple other people there, it actually makes it very easy to have a conversation. Why don't you get to know the people who are on the other side of the church, or maybe in the row behind you? Spend some time investing in one another, and I guarantee you two things will happen. The first thing is the most important. You're going to learn a lot about yourself. 
You're going to learn a lot about your own limitations. You're going to learn a lot about your own opinions and maybe some of those opinions that need to change. And secondly, you're going to learn that there are some amazing people sitting in this room that, one, they need you, and two, you need them. I guarantee you those things will happen, but they will not happen if you don't ask. I got asked this question a little bit ago, and I promise I'm done. I went way longer than I wanted to today. I, I get asked this, ask this question a lot. Um, you know, hey, hey, Pastor, is it possible to like spend some time with you? You know, like, is, 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 is it okay if you know like, we can connect some time? Uh, how, how does that work? Ask. Here's one thing. I'm a chubby little guy. I eat. Put food in the midst of it. I'm probably there. Put barbecue in the midst of it. I'm there. I might not even be invited. Okay. But I won't enter. I won't push myself into your life. Every time I ask someone, hey, can, can we get together for a little while? Everyone says the same thing. Oh my gosh, what did I do? I'm in trouble for something. No, you're not. No, you're not. I just want to say hi. It's fine. But make a point on purpose over the next few months. You might find your next set of lifelong friends. You might find something in your life that's been missing. Not, that sounded very marital. Don't do that. No. But it's important for us to not only know one another, not to not only be known, but to know each other. I'm going to jump out and pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this opportunity to not only speak to your speak to your people here, Lord, but to encourage us all to deepen ourselves in our relationship with one another. To not be content with the casual hello on a Sunday morning, but to want to know each other better so that we know how we can support one another so we know how we can encourage one another, so we can even know how to correct one another and to do it in love. We thank you for the opportunity presented before us. Help us to not let this just go away, but help us to embrace this as an opportunity to better ourselves and to even better others. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.